And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving with my mistakes. I have to be honest, as a dog training and behavioral professional, I don't pay much attention to other dog trainers, especially not the ones who post online. I have mentors. Collectively, they have nearly 90 years of experience with dog handling. They stay offline entirely. There is one guy out of New York whose stuff I enjoy, especially given his totally New York persona. He drops the F-bomb with clients. I find him amusing and interesting. So when a friend of mine pointed me toward the Instagram account of a Las Vegas dog trainer, I was skeptical. But then I took a peek. Antonio Diaz of Leader of the Pack Las Vegas is the real deal. And it's not just that our philosophies of adapting and changing dog behavior are aligned. It's the way he handles people who come at him disagreeing with his methods. And the way he proactively responds to content where he believes there's room to grow. We've started becoming friends, Antonio and I, and over coffee a couple weeks ago, we started digging into the concept of leadership and how our work, our work with dogs, applies in the world. It was a great conversation. So I figured he and I should have the conversation again, this time let you guys listen in. So that's what this is. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. Antonio Diaz, better known as leader of the pack, LV. Hey, I'm here. So you are here. You're leader of the pack. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm as a, as someone who has been working with dogs for the better part of the 25, 26 years and full time for the last nine or so, um, I don't spend a lot of time online looking at other people who do dog stuff. Very, yeah. very few. Uh, Michael Shikashio, who's specifically an aggressive dog trainer. I look at a lot of people who do horse stuff just because I find that fascinating. Um, I look at some veterinary behaviorists and some veterinary nutritionists because I find that stuff endlessly fascinated and fascinating. But for the most part, the, the trainers, air quotation marks I see online, I don't realize, like, it just makes me want to reach through the camera and like shake them and say, no. Um, yes, you're getting clicks and you're setting people up to fail. So when I, when I came across your content, I, um, it, it kind of warmed my heart in a lot of different ways. Um, and there's something in particular about the way, the way you use your voice that I'd, that I'd love to really, where I'd love to really okay. start, which is no blame, no shame, no fault, mm -hmm. no guilt, you know, that it is really about people are just people and you can't blame someone for not knowing Absolutely. what they don't know. And so there's no shame of the client. And, but there's also no degradation of other dog people. Even when the videos that you see are borderline abuse, your response to them is always super neutral and positive focused. And I would love to talk with you about about how that plays in the rest of your life. Have you always been that way? Where did that come from? And how did how did that become your way of being? I love the questions. Um, so no, I was not always that way. Um, 
I have had such an like an awakening over the past decade or so, maybe a little longer, um, that has really led me to shine a bright light on myself and really hone in on my own imperfections, which kind of humbles me and not kind of, but like very much so humbles me. And whenever I look at somebody else, even if it's something that I could honestly say that I wouldn't do, I have to... I have to say to myself, have I ever done anything similar in in another fashion, right? Not direct, like I would never do that. Okay, great. In that context. But um, would you ever respond that way in another context? And if I have to, if the answer is yes, then I really have to um, watch my mouth because I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I think that's really the fear of being hypocritical is something that drives me um, because You know, nobody wants to say that they would never do something and then turn around and do it or have something pop up later on. And it's like, yeah, well, you used to do it. You know what I mean? So this is why I try to come from a place of non-judgment. And really, the other thing, too, is I also know personally that if you come to me and you're sort of attacking me and um, just not with good intentions to constructively guide me, then I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to shut down. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care about what you have to say. And so I don't want people to shut down. And I've learned working with my clients that um, if I really want to get through to them, I cannot make them defensive. And I'm very careful and I tread very lightly, um, even when they're doing the same thing over and over and over that's wrong, that's right in front of me. I take a deep breath and I ask myself, how can I explain this differently? How can I break this down in a smaller step? And it's just like dogs. It's just like if I'm trying to teach a dog to do a behavior and they're not getting it, you know, punishing them harder is probably not going to work. I have to first ask myself, have I explained to them fully what it is that I want them to do? And have I broken it down in a way that they can be successful and fully understand and grasp what it is that I'm teaching them? And so all of these things are kind of intertwined in my approach. And I try to apply that online as well in the way that I speak to people. Um, And even in my own personal life, um, I'd be lying if I said I never got frustrated or angry and said some things, you know, that I didn't mean later on. But I try to be very consciously aware of that and um, not allow that as much as I can, you know, take a deep breath before I speak. So, so I, I want to get back to the, to the, the dog stuff and, and that in a, in a moment, but you, you first, I, you, so you weren't always like this, you know, the last Correct. 10 years yeah. or so you had a, an awakening and enlightening, a two by yeah. two by four thunk upside the head. What was that pivotal point for you? Or was it a collection uh. of pivotal points? Uh, no, it was actually one particular moment that I remember. And um, long story short, I moved out to Vegas back in 08 with a girl that I was dating from in New York back home. And uh, we were together for a couple years out here and we broke up. And I, it was just a weird situation where I decided to move out of our apartment because I just wasn't trying to deal with being living together, but not being together, you know? And so I moved out, but for, there was like a two week period where I literally didn't have a home and I was in the process of trying to find a new place to live. I was also, I had plans to go back to New York to visit family. So I needed to find a place before I left. I needed to secure a spot. I literally didn't have a place to sleep. I was sleeping at friends' houses in the meantime. And I remember the moment when I, before I left to New York, I 
had I got this apartment and I had all my stuff moved in. I didn't have a couch. I had like a wicker uh, chair that's like the big uh, round, right, with a cushion in it. was like a patio furniture. Um, I didn't have a television. I had nothing. I just had this wicker chair in the living room and I had a bed. And I remember sitting there with such peace in my heart and like knowing that everything was okay and that and I look back at my life and I said to myself, wow, like everything that I've ever been through, I've made it out alive and I've been okay. And, I, and I'm like, you're good. You're, you have a, you have a, you have a place to shower, a place to sleep. You have food, you have five fingers or 10 fingers, 10 toes. You have a car, you have a job, you're going to go visit family. And I, that was the moment that I started living my, my journey. I started my journey, um, living from a place of gratitude and that was the big thing for me. And just, you know, and that gratitude, when you, when you come from that place of gratitude in your life, I think it just changes your perspective on everything and things aren't going to be perfect, but, um, coming from a place of gratitude is always something to be grateful for. So what you appreciate appreciates. And I kind of try and live my life by that. And so I remind myself of that every day. I try to anyway. So what was your first memory of a dog in your life? Uh, I was three. His name was Rex and very vivid. I tried to bring him into my, I think, I think I did bring him into my house and my mother was just not having it at all. And I just, where did he come from? Yeah, where did you, where did you find him? Like, did you he find was him? just like some street dog. I don't know. It was like a little, I don't know. I want to say he was maybe like a Rottweiler or like a lab. He was a black dog. Um, and I, that's, I mean, I was very young. Like I said, I was three. And I just remember trying to sneak him in the house and my mom was not having it. And, uh, and then I begged her for a dog. And she told me that when, when we owned our own home, that we could have a dog. And when I was five, my parents bought, bought the house, a house. And I remember it was September. I remember the month. I have a pretty crazy memory um, for certain things. And uh, anyway, so I remember that I asked my mom, like, you know, what about this dog? You said we could have a dog. And we had a lady who lived like down the driveway um, and it was another property behind ours. And she had a dog. And so I would play with that dog. My mother told me to play with that dog and another neighbor's dog. So uh, I did that. And when I, I just kept asking my mom for a dog. And then when I was eight, we finally got a dog. So that my first memory was when I was three and, um, I've just always had an affinity with dogs and I had a book called the book of dogs. It was super I thick. I think we all, I think we all had it. that. I, you know, they've updated, you know, yeah. they've updated it. Yeah. Actually, I know I have I it on do. the shelf in my library. <laughs> do we have the same one? This is the one that I have. Oh, I have that one. I have that one also. Yeah. That's the, that's okay. the AKC complete the com dog yeah. book. book. Complete dog yeah, book. I actually yeah. have, every AKC I have a leather bound the encyclopedia of dogs that was copyright is 1946. Wow. And there's breeds in there that you just don't even see anymore. And, um, and of course there's a lot of breeds that you don't see in there cause they didn't, hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But, um, and then of course there's, you know, the Goldens, the Labs, flat coat, curly coat, Rottweiler, Doberman, yeah. Joburn Shepherd, you know. And what they look like then versus now too, I'm sure is pretty incredible. Yeah. And I definitely want to get to uh, the conversation of uh, man, a man and dog and the, the, the hell we hath wrought on these poor creatures. But I want to get back to yeah. what you were saying before about, um, about working with dogs and working with humans and specifically when you're, when you're not landing 
with a with a person. You're not landing with a client and you can see what they're doing and you're not, you know, just not, there's some connection that's not happening. What are the things that you go through? You said you take a deep breath and kind of think of a yeah. new way to approach it. But what are some of the, the ways that you approach it with the client? And is there ever a point you get to where you're like, I'm just not the teacher for these people? Mm. You know, I can honestly say I've never had that. I'm not the teacher. I actually kind of feel like if I can't do it, <laughs> if I can't help you, nobody can. <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't mean that, for, and I don't say that in a um, pompous way or anything like that. I, I just really want to try and get through. Um, so because, yeah, so I mean, I can kind of ramble on about that. But um, my the way that I handle them is by starting with um, – I'll describe exactly what it is that I want from them. And so I'll verbally, I'll explain it to them and say, hold let's, let me explain to you again. As a matter of fact, I just had a situation like this the other day. Um, we were teaching the dog recall. And when I go out in a public place with a dog for the first time, I like to start, as I, as I like to say, start from scratch. So we're going to do the same thing outside that we did inside the house. And um, which is a lot of luring, but the dog's food motivated. So we put food right in his face, let him eat a couple pieces out of their hand, say the word come back up immediately and lure the dog to you and then reward them as they follow you about six feet. And um, my client was really struggling with that. So her hands were just all over the place, um, not really backing up that much. And no, um, not saying the word come loud and clear, just like, come here, come here. And so I, you know, and it was just kind of a disaster. So I stopped and I explained it to her. I demonstrated and I pinpointed three things for her to do. Say the word loud and clear, hold your hand out and back up. That's it. Just do those three things and let's do it step by step. So I said to her, say, say the word, say like, say like he's 20 feet ahead of you. Come great. Now back up. Give me a couple of, you know, like put some motion into it, move back. So she does. And then I say, and now simultaneously keep that hand right out in front of you to give your dog a target to follow. And I said, so as soon as she did, I'm like, do it again. Boom. I said, do it again. Boom. Do it again. Boom. And she did like five, six in a row. And I was like, do you see the difference? Do you see how he's like super engaged with you? She's like, yes. I'm like, that's what I want to see. And so I've learned to be able to break things down like that because ultimately it's like, you know, I don't know who said this, but I heard it and it resonates with me. If you understand something where you claim to, but you can't break it down to like a five, for, to a five-year-old, then you don't fully understand it. You know what I mean? Like if you can't break it down into its smallest um, pieces for a child to digest and understand, then you don't fully understand it in its entirety. And I kind of believe that because that's what we have to do sometimes, you know, most, so, most times, most, times. yeah. But, you know, to go back to what you said, have I ever maybe felt that way? And, you know, just kind of thinking I have, but I also, you know, meaning have I ever felt like maybe I wasn't the trainer and I would say I have had that thought, but I would never, give into that. Right. I would just, I would just change my approach for that individual. And a couple comes to mind, they had uh, a couple poodles and they were very, uh, coddling with the dogs and very, you know, they just, they babied them and, a lot. And they turned them into little furry people. 
Yeah. And it was, it was like, man, you couldn't put any pressure on one of the dogs. He would just resist and it just looked bad. And I even said to them, I'm like, guys, this is like just an example of your dog has just learned how to get out of anything you want him to do by just whining and just backing out. And I'm, and I, and I'm like, I get that it looks like he's going through something, but he's just learned to use that as a mechanism to avoid anything he doesn't want to do in the simplest of things. Right. And so I really had to take a deep breath because it was like, man, this dog, like, I just wanted to take the dog. Like, let me just take him home. You know what I mean? So I can like guide this dog and give him just a little bit of the tough love that he needs, a little bit of the boundaries, right? Just a little bit. And, um, you know, and I really say that from a place of kindness too, just so everyone listening understands that. Like, um, if you know anything about dogs and you know that not every dog is the same. So, but anyway, uh, I really had to- We're going to talk about that too. Don't worry. Yeah. I had a, I just had to take a deep breath and just say to them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just focus on teaching him gentle leash pressure. And I just want him to learn to come into the leash. And um, we just started from there. And the dog wasn't perfect, but we had made some strides in training. And obviously, there's a lot that goes into training, especially working with other people. They have to be consistent. And so there was a little bit of lack of consistency on their end. But every time we got together, we saw improvements. And are you still, you're you're talking about a past tense. Are you still working with them? No, we had completed training and um, I think they, you know, they did well, but I could also see that there was, they were still struggling. And I always offer to all of my clients, um, you know, and I mean it too, like, don't hesitate to reach out, text me if you have questions. I have a lot of clients that continue to see me over the years that'll reach out, want to book more sessions or a phone consultation or, and and, and if I can answer a question, honestly, that's fairly simple or offer some quick advice, I'm more than happy to, whether it's a quick phone call or a text message or an email. So, and that's always available to anyone that's worked with me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I myself was working with someone recently who had spent tens of thousands of dollars on training. Um, they sent their dog away for like a three week thing and we'll save that topic for another time. They sent the dog away for a three week thing. Um, and uh, the, all, all the other trainers were wrong. Like, this is like, the trainers aren't doing it. The dogs are da-da. And I said, I said, so well, let me be clear. Like, you've paid, you've paid good money to someone, either, either someone who doesn't have the skill to do what you needed to have done is one possibility. Yeah. Or you're not doing what they guided you to do. Either they, they, they gave you direction and consistency that you're not then implementing. It's like when I was a kid and I took piano lessons, if I didn't practice between the lessons, I didn't get any better. You can't just show up to your piano lesson and only play the piano when you're at the piano lesson. You have to practice. You know, if I'm an athlete, I don't just go play, you know, in the Super Bowl. I don't just go play Mm -hmm. the game. I work out. I train. I do drills. I do sprints. I've got a coach who's putting putting me through different exercises to build different muscles and different reactions and different strengths. You know, if I'm learning a language, if I'm whatever I'm doing, you know, as a public, as a public speaker, as a coach, as a coach, I have a coach as a life coach, I have a coach and I work with other coaches and I'm not just coaching others, but I am being coached and I am always learning. And, um, 
one of the things that I have found in some people is they just, they want the dog. Of their dreams. And, well, it's like, I don't think they even know what their dreams are, frankly. Like they see a picture, they see a movie, all of their neighbors have one, all of their kids' schoolmates have a particular dog, and so their kids get to have that, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and the first words out of their mouth, almost all the time, I know I'm the problem. I know I'm the problem. I know I'm not doing it. I'm not like, and it's like, okay, so do you really know that though? And so I, I'm curious, like, yeah. what's your navigation? Because by saying, oh, I'm the problem, it's like, yeah, well, you don't get to just say that and then not acknowledge what that means okay. and then step up to actually do the work to address it. Because you say it, so you intellectually know it, but do you actually get what that is resulting yeah. in? Yeah. I've had people say that to me and here's what I like to say to them. Number one is I always say, they go, I know it's my fault. I know I caused this. And I, and I say to them, well, I'm not here to talk about that. And I, it doesn't matter to me whose fault it was because you know what, to be honest with you, people could, could rescue a dog and that dog is a complete disaster. And I had that issue with my dog, Logan adopted him out of school, brought him home. Turns out he was a little bit of a monster and uh, wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything to him. I just got him, you know, and, but it was my responsibility. So that's what I tell people. It may not, whether it's your fault or not, is irrelevant. If it is fine, but it's more importantly, it's your responsibility. So from here on out, we start with a clean slate, both with yourself and with your dog. I'm going to give you the tools to be successful. If you choose not to apply what I show you, that's on you. I'm never going to come in your house and judge you. I'm never going to come in your house and shame you for not doing the work. We're just not going to be able to move forward, right? Meaning that if you haven't done the exercises and we're supposed to work outside now with distractions and you haven't worked on it and your dog's not ready for it, I'm not going to put your dog through that because of you not doing what you're supposed to do. So as long as you understand that and you understand that it's that from here on out, it's your responsibility then we're good. And so I, and the reason I say that is twofold. One, because I want to help people understand that I'm really not here to judge them. And two, because it, it'll, I'm, I'm going to do what I can do to help you. And that's pretty much the extent of my um, involvement in what you do. I used to, when I first started my business, I would go home and I would literally, I, I would put myself to sleep by thinking about all the things I could have said to somebody to help them understand better. Those dreams dreams must have been fun. (laughs) Oh my God, you have no idea. It was like, and I thought to myself, I can't, you know, I can't go on like this. I think maybe when this is where a lot of my grades came from, like back, you know, starting eight years ago, or I should say seven years ago. But um, anyway, so yeah, I used to go to sleep with those thoughts. It's a good look. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I've embraced it. So it is what it is, Miriam. But um. I would go to sleep with those thoughts. I'd wake up with those thoughts. And then I quickly realized like, why, how can I seriously live my life caring more about how successful my clients are than they care? And I still care, right? Because it's my name on them when they go around, right? They're going to tell everybody who helped them with their dog. But I just kind of put that out of my head. I put that ego aside and I just said, look, I'm here to help you. I'm going to do what I can. Once I send you that follow-up email, that's it. I put you aside and then I'll see you next week. If you have a question or an issue in between then, I'm here to help you. If you contact me, I'm going to message you my answer. I'm going to help you out and then I'm going to 
put you back in that box until I see you again. And I've learned to do that. And so that's my entire approach from like those words. I know it's my fault to me going to sleep at night. That's how I deal with it. So smart. So leadership, I mean, it is literally the name of your business. Yeah. Leader. What, leader. what does the word leader mean to you? It means teacher, guide, patient, teacher, um, someone who's willing to put forth the effort and, you know, match the effort or, or excuse me, be a demonstration of the amount of effort to those that they're leading. Um, it's to be observant and to recognize the differences in the, everyone, including dogs, that they are supposedly leading or trying to lead. So it's a very powerful word to me, to be honest. And I remember when I worked in the service industry, I worked um, as a bartender and server for years here in Vegas. And one of my managers, he comes up to me and he said this to me a few times. He says, listen, I need you to understand the influence that you have on other people that work here. Because sometimes, you know, if you come in a little late, he's like, people see that. Other coworkers see that um, if you, you know, whatever it might be. And because that's back when I was like a little bit more reckless, you know. Um, and so I remember him saying that to me. And at the time, I'm just like, man, what are you talking about? You know, like who I'm just here to work. You know, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to make some money and I'm going to go home. What are you talking about? I got to be aware of like people that are, you know, uh, influenced by me and, you know, things like you're you're kind of a leader and I didn't really fully understand that until I started my business and I really understood how influential that I could be to my clients and uh, to other people around me so I've taken on that word and it's also helped me be more way more aware of myself and my own actions and um, in my own imperfections and trying to make myself a better person for everybody including myself powerful word. When did you, so obviously this was a bit, sounds like it was a bit revelatory for you when your boss was like, you're a leader. You're like, oh, whatever. I'm just here to work. Yeah, yeah. But often those of us who have innate leadership, those of us who, I mean, I could be standing on a street corner in a country where I've never been, not even speaking the language, just standing there holding a cup of coffee and people will ask me for directions. It's happened everywhere I go in the world. Yeah. People will start talking to me and I'll be like, oh, sorry, I don't speak Greek. They'll be like, oh, yeah. but you look like you know. So I was like, I'm like, no, I'm actually standing here trying to figure out which direction I'm going. I'm absolutely yeah. I need direction. I need direction myself. I'm never lost because I usually just enjoy where I am. So never, I, never. I'm, I'm with lost. you there. Yeah. But so those of us who have an innate sense of, of, of leadership, a presence, if you will, of leadership. Typically we know, like on some level earlier, do you have a moment in your life that you can point to? It might've been when you were super little, when you had a, a realization that you were somebody that people looked to with respect or followed. Hmm, that's a good one. I might have to think for a while because I don't have a moment off the top of my head when I was young, like young, young as a boy that I can think of. It was really later on, I think, 
part of my like awakening, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think to, to a degree. Um, well, I don't know. You were a three-year-old kid who brought a dog into the house. Agreed. Well, so here's like, the thing so with like, me, tell me, like you're three to... years old and you're like, I'm just going to bring a damn dog into the house and see what happens. Cause I'm pretty okay, sure I can, so I'm I, pretty sure I can convince her to keep it. You know, now that you say it that way, I think that, yeah, I can, uh, I've always, since I was a boy, just done whatever I wanted to do. Honestly, like my parents, if my parents are here, they'd be like, oh my God, he was like, I was a good kid, but I was also a difficult child because I didn't like to be told no. Um, I didn't like to be told what to do. Never did. Um, I challenged my parents and my dad was very strict and I challenged him many times. And so no, there was nothing. So looking back, yes, it's always been me. I don't know if I had that realization though, as a young boy, you know, I just knew that I didn't care. I remember I, you know, I, I like literally challenged my father when I was 11, which was like just insane, you know, like mind blowing, right? Like you would not do that, but I did. And, um, yeah, there's just a lot of things in my life. When I look back, I'm like, yeah, there was no way that I was meant to be like a worker. You know what I mean? In terms of like an employee, you know, and I think about that now, I'm like, there's no way I could ever work with somebody. I would literally pick cans before, you know, out of trash before I went and worked somebody for somebody now. But as a boy, I don't think I really understood that. I just knew that I didn't like to be told what to do. And, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I trained my dog when I was like eight or nine. And so not really understanding what I was doing at that time. I just thought it was fun. You know, I knew that if I guided her, I would like guide her into a down or to like roll over. I was luring her and I had no clue what I was doing, like in terms of, you know, calling it something. I just, it just made sense to me to do those things. So, which is pretty cool. But yeah, to answer your question, there isn't a pivotal moment. But when I look back, it's like it's always been ingrained in me for sure. It's who I am. It sounds like what I'm what's landing for me with what you're saying is that it's less about your understanding of your strength, power and leadership than it is about your coming to terms with how to be be that in a way that lifts others that. You know, and, and being a leader can be really lonely, right? Being a leader, you know, you're going against the grain. You, you know, aren't always going to be liked, you know, that, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a solitary, you know, you're not, you know, like we know in the hierarchy, that is the family structure of a naturally occurring unit of dogs. There is no peer parity. There is no, we, I am exactly like you. There is always some level of, now within the family body itself, it's fluid and like, you know, today I'm on top and chewing on your face and tomorrow mm. you're chasing me and, you know, then I'm taking the toy or you're taking the toy and there's that fluidity. But the leadership of that structure is unquestioned and unwavering until such time as that leader either dies or is overthrown, period, end of statement. And that the rest of it is fluid and there is zero question about that leadership. And that sometimes that alpha pair is often by themselves, you know, 
in a space where they can watch the whole family. They are on a raised platform, a raised place, looking over the rest of the the wolf structure. It is, it is, um, it is a challenge. And sometimes, I'm speaking for myself here. I'm like sometimes I just want to be like, can't you just lead yourself? Why do I have to do it for you? I don't want yeah, to do it today. I don't want to be a leader today. Like, like full blown temper tantrum, you know. And then you know I kind of smack myself out of it and go my merry way. But I would love to know, like in those moments where you're like, God, son of a fuck. How do you how do you write yourself? You know, because you don't really get to choose. Like you're a leader, Antonio. Yeah. Like it's like tough shit. That's how it is. Too bad. <laughs> like you yeah. know. So so what are you gonna do with it? So how in those in those moments how do you give yourself the swift kick in the ass that you need? I think it's a it's more about preparing for those moments than like just impulsively responding to them. Um, I try to walk around with a conscious awareness of what I have to do. And so even at times where I just want to let it go, it's like now is not the time to let it go. Like you have to schedule the time to let that go. You know, like tomorrow I'm going on like a nine mile hike with a buddy of mine, you know, just to get out in nature and I'm going to take my dogs and, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be my release, you know, and I get to enjoy that. Um, and then when there are times where I'm like, don't want to do this, I'm tired, you know, and just like, oh, well, nobody cares, you know. Um, and I'm, it's just like, you got to do it, you know. And uh, one of the hardest things, too, for me, the transition to uh, – being the leader and embracing that because, you know, nobody, nobody tells me to do anything, which is great. Right. Cause I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, you got what you wanted. Right. But now what do you do with that? What do you do with that? How are you going to handle that? Are you just going to sit around? Um, how do you, how do you lead your own life? And that's something that I think is just so it's just amazing to me. It's very profound to lead other people. And then you have to actually go home and now you have to lead yourself. So it's one, that's one thing. It's great to walk around. I think people want, I think some people think they want to be leaders, you know, by telling others what to do, but they don't really embody that by telling themselves what to do and like really taking that role. And so I just try to remind myself um, again, you know, I don't want to be hypocritical, so I think that's part of my drive too, just dealing with that and preparing myself. I meditate. I just try to have a conscious awareness of who I am and what I'm supposed to do. And I'm certainly not perfect, but you know, if anyone follows me, um, I always appreciate the the positivity, you know, the just the, the love that I get for what I do. However, a lot of people don't know that it literally took me, what did I start last year? So 2021, it took me five years to actually muster up the courage to start just putting my stuff out there, you know, and putting me out there. And cause I was very concerned about how I would be perceived and um, I could be, and again, as part of that learning process where I can be defensive, I can kind of come off like ready to fight um, physically and verbally. I, the fear for me is the embracing the, um, the negativity, the anger, you know? And so that's something where even now, 
I see comments from people. Well, it's also, you know, the anger. I have a, a trainer coach that I've worked with. She's like, look, one person calls you an ass, whatever. Two people call you an ass, whatever. 10 people call you an ass, go buy a saddle. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that. Typically, if somebody says something to me, if nine people tell me one thing and one person tells me this, or if a hundred people tell me this and 10 people tell me this, I look at it relatively, right? Yeah. And it really hurts or it pisses me off or it like gets under my skin. Then I get to look at what it is that's bothering me about it. Yeah. Is it because I see truth in it? Is it because I don't feel worthy and they're stepping on me, my I'm not worthy kind yeah. of little voice in my mm -hmm. head are they you know you're not enough you're a fraud people are going to figure you out which is of course all bullshit yeah. right but it, it's right. in here though we have to yeah. kick it out <laughs> well it's like when the voice starts to talk my new and this is something that my my coach gave to me she's like so like who's the voice i'm like i don't know it's like she's like yeah so when the voice says something like says who Oh, disembodied voice who's never actually done anything in the world because you're not actually real. Yeah. Like, like you know what? You come out here and work with yeah. some dogs and get their behavior to modify. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, you know, it's like the people in the park. I'll be working with a dog and people will be like, oh. And and William Keeler, uh, Bill Keeler would talk about this in, in his book in The Keeler Method where, you know, he's doing a class in a park and people are like, oh, and they're like, you know, making comments about, oh, what you're doing with the dog. It's like, okay. Here's the leash. If you really think that you can do this, on legitimately, these are the tools I have and the things that I'm doing. If you legitimately think you can do this better than I can, here. Yeah. Here. But they won't take Go it. Go for it. No. Like, oh, you're an animal. Whatever. Um, but back to the whole the voices in the head thing, you know, thinking about um, where those come from. So like when those little voices percolate for you, because I, I imagine they happen because you're human. Yeah. Every now and then that little voice pops up. All the time. Yeah. So when they pop up, where does, what's the origin of those for you and how do you diffuse them? I think it's, <laughs> the origin I would say is uh, self-doubt from my own childhood um, for sure. I also recognize that it's, the voice inside of me, it's like, it's the little bitch, honestly. Just, oh my God, I can't even, just so many things. It's the self-doubt. It's the, it's the part that we all have, you know, but I think some of us just pay less attention to it or learn to pay less attention to it. And, um, and I think too, I try to remind myself to come from a place of service. And even with what I do now, um, if I have a video that I want to make, I'll, Trust me when I tell you, I think about like, oh, how is this going to be received? Am I probably going to get some comment here? And the thing is, is like somebody, I consider myself a balanced trainer. I use um, food. I use positive reinforcement. I consider almost 90% of the time. And I use, you know, punishments, negative reinforcement uh, about 10% of the time. Um, with that said, I get it from both ends. I get people telling me that I'm bribing dogs with food, uh, that I don't need to use food and I don't know what I'm doing because I use food. And then I got people telling me I'm, I'm being abusive just for putting a prong collar on a dog. And so there's, when I have content, it's always like, 
how is this going to be perceived? And, you know, uh, but then it's like, who cares? Because there's always going to be somebody out there crying. And like, and like you said, one person says it fine. Two people say it fine. Um, but then at the same time, I also have to, with that said, I also have to say, well, you're putting your content online for thousands of people to see. So you might see a hundred comments that are like, that's terrible. But then the rest of them are going to be like, great job. And honestly, I, while I do sort of use that as a gauge sometimes, um, I, I kind of ultimately have to train myself not to care because it doesn't change the interactions that I have with my clients, the people that actually pay me, the people that are actually utilizing me. Um, because when I put out free content, it's like, you know what, you can perceive that however you want. And Trust me, I have to remind myself of this every day to not care. Um, but yes, um, it's like, it's just, it's, it is a battle all the time for sure. Especially because again, like without, with putting out content, there's always going to be something to be said. And I've just learned, and I think that's a part of my journey, my five-year journey of starting my business and then starting to put out content is that I really had to prepare myself to deal with those comments, to deal with the uh, going against the grain in certain fields, you know, uh, between, you know, a, a heavy handed and compulsive trainer, uh, somebody who doesn't use food to somebody who would never, ever, ever, you know, put any type of pressure on their dog. It's like, we're not the same. You know what I mean? I've, yeah. I, I fluctuate all over that spectrum and, it just, there's so much involved. And so, I mean, you know, I could talk about this forever because it's something that I think is very prevalent in my life on a daily basis where I have to remind myself and I have good days and I have bad days. And what I, the one thing I wanted to mention earlier and I kind of went off was that when I, when I do make content, the one thing I try to remind myself of is to just come from a place of service and don't worry about how many people see it or how many people like it or how well the video does try to remember that if you can just help one person, that's the whole reason. That's the whole point of doing the, making the video of putting yourself out there is to help somebody. And so just remember that. And I really try to remember that and focus on that and put everything else aside and just say, look, I'm here to just offer a little quick tip, something that I help people with. And if it vibes with you, great. If it doesn't, cry about it <clears throat> i heard they have safe spaces now so you can go there this is talk unleashed sit tight we'll be back right after this okay folks if you don't want to ruin all of those wonderful dog videos that you love so much on the internet go ahead and hit fast forward right now go ahead i'll wait still here Okay, cool. Now, now that anyone who isn't going to change their behavior has maybe shuffled off, we can get down to business. I'll start here. I get it. You want to snuggle with your dog. I get it. You may want to snuggle with every dog. Awesome. Your intentions, I'm going to assume, are good. Here's the thing. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean that it's what you should do. In fact, there are a lot of dogs for whom that kind of interaction is not only not wanted, it's downright repellent. We get to meet the dog where it is and then go from there. And guess what? It's like that with people too. Personal space is just that, it's personal. I don't get to enter your space without your say-so and vice versa. 
Now, look, that's coming from me. I'm, I'm super huggy. I love hugging, but at the same time, I don't just hug everyone and anyone, at least not on a first meeting. I get to pay attention. I get to be mindful of other people's space, respectful. And it's as much about my holding responsibility for my own space as it is respect for theirs. So check yourself before you wreck yourself and other people around you. Three years old. He was three years old, decided he wanted a dog and just brought it into the house. Ballsy. That's leadership. It's damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. What's really telling, though, is that when he was told no, when he was told he couldn't keep the dog, Antonio didn't have a tantrum. He just didn't take no for an answer. He backed up, regrouped, and came at it again. And again. And again. That's persistence. That's urgency. That's commitment. So what about you? When you get a no, what do you do? Where in your life are you accepting complacency and not forging ahead even when you know what you want? What might it look like to shift that in a way that's responsible? We're thinking about.